0: Thank you for watching this online message from Riverstone Church. We hope that this content encourages you and helps you further develop your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit riverstonechurch.net. There you can learn more about us, view additional messages, submit your prayer needs, and even give online. Thank you for watching and may the Lord richly bless you. So from that, uh, we want to look at uh, the word of the Lord and what we will uh, be talking about over these next few weeks. Uh, next four weeks is uh, the foundation of uh, Riverstone. And this morning we're going to focus on our worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we finish out this series, we're going to pick back up uh, the book of Acts and Acts chapter 15, uh, where we were uh, when we left off last fall. Um, but I think it's important for us to. Uh, look in and focus our hearts towards uh, what are the uh, foundational elements uh, that God has called us to be and do as a church. And so let's read the word of the Lord together in Luke uh, chapter 24, starting at verse 36. If you will, when you're there, stand with me And uh, as, a, as an honor to the reading of the word of the Lord, and we will uh, read together and pray and work through the message this morning. Verse 36, the word of the Lord says to us, while they were telling those things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they, uh, while they still could not believe it or because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. Now he said to them, these are my words, which I spoke to you while I was still with you that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ will suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem." You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for the public reading of Scripture. We pray, Lord, that you would be with us by your grace, through the power of the Holy Spirit, over these next few moments as we share the word of the Lord together. And we honor you. We love you, Lord. Thank you for breaking the bread of life to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So as many of you are aware, the Gospel of Luke is essentially a two-part series, which is uh, this book in which we read uh, the text from today, and then also uh, the book of Acts. Luke was a writer of both of those, and he is giving a clear history of uh, the early church. Uh, Luke, as a uh, physician, was research-oriented uh, as he used many first-hand sources to kind of piece together uh, the history of uh, the early church and ultimately the Apostle Paul's movements uh, throughout uh, the early known world. Uh, He would have been uh, educated, he was a good writer, he was detail-oriented, and so he kind of pressed uh, in both the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts um, much of the detail of what we know about uh, how the early church existed and what the early church did. Uh, This ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ takes place on uh, a Sunday, Uh, so uh, today, Sunday that we are, are here, it's actually even a commemoration of both the resurrection and the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this, as we read this morning, is the final appearance of the Lord uh, to his disciples uh, before the ascension. And so we get a glimpse here of the activity of the disciples immediately after Jesus shared with them the great commission and his sure return, and then he ascended into heaven. And so why is this important to know kind of what transpired or what happened uh, just after the ascension? What was going on in these last few verses of Luke just after the ascension? What was happening? Why is that important uh, for us to know? I can tell you that if I were to uh, share with my children this afternoon that we're going to gather together in the house and we're going to work and clean the house. And as soon as we're finished cleaning the house, we're all gonna go out and get ice cream Sundays. What would my children do? I mean, there's gonna be smoke coming from underneath their feet. They're gonna be working so fast at the task. I said the children again, they don't like me grouping them all together. Uh, <laughs> the little kids. Uh, But they would be moving so fast towards uh, the call that I had spoken to them to clean the house in order to reap the reward that would come after. So the moment that's closest to the command, the moment that is closest to the proclamation that has been made, people are tend to be most obedient to what was been called to do because it's fresh in their mind. They have a zeal and a desire to see it come to pass. And I think that's what we see here, both at the end of Luke and then also through the entirety of the book of Acts, we see a people that were passionate about the call of God and what Jesus had spoken to them to do uh, after his departure into heaven through the ascension. And so, when we think about these things, what we see is that the immediate response after the ascension and after the commands of the Lord at the end of uh, his time on the earth, the immediate response of the disciples was to worship. The immediate response was to worship. And that is one of the things that is Primary with us as a church. What we must primarily be about is the worship and exaltation of Jesus Christ. The disciples were at Bethany, Jesus blesses them. And in blessing them, he he lifts his hands up to uh, the heavens. And he could have decided to translate into heaven in any way that he wanted. It could have been an immediate disappearance. It could have been a stairway open up. It could have been anything that you could have imagined. But there's a reason that Jesus chose to ascend while they were looking at him to ascend up into the clouds. And because it pointed into the way in which he would return. He would return coming back through the clouds. And then when he ascended, their immediate response was to worship. And this is actually the first time in the gospel of Luke where the word worship is used as it relates to Jesus particularly. So what we see that Luke is pointing to is there is a difference in perception of the disciples at this point of who Jesus was and why he was due worship. And I think that points back to verse 45, that he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And from that understanding proceeded worship of Jesus as part of the Godhead. See, we worship God in Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when we worship God, Christ, the sense is that in Christ is the fullness of the deity of God. We understand that through Colossians 2.9. And so, when we worship Christ, when we exalt Christ, we are worshiping the Trinity. It doesn't I don't think, it doesn't necessarily matter if when you're praying you say, we worship you, Almighty God, or we worship you, Jesus, or we worship you, Holy Spirit, because they are God in Trinity and Trinity in unity. But as we worship our focus on how God has made himself known and God has revealed himself to us chiefly through the person and work and redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is worship? Uh, One of the first definitions that I have heard of worship is worship is our response to God as he has revealed himself to us. There's a response to the Lord upon his revelation. And again, his chief revelation to us is in the person and work of Jesus. And Riverstone must be a church that is about the business of worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. So the disciples were right to worship Jesus at Bethany. Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father in John 14 and 19. And if worship is our response to God as he has revealed himself to us, what does worship entail? A.W. Tozer says, true worship is to be so personally and hopelessly in love with god that the idea of a transfer of affections never even remotely exists to be so focused on God and his work within us, his power and might to move us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, that there is not remotely in our mind even the possibility that there would ever be a transfer of affections to something else. There are many areas in which we can worship the Lord. As I think about worship, I think of three Primary areas of worship. And again, there could be others that we would add to this list, but I would begin to think about prayers and thanksgiving, petitions to the Lord, requests, words of exaltation, words of thanks to the Lord for what he has done, words of praise to God for his redemptive work that was laid before the foundation of the world, singing praise to him in songs and utterances, proclamation in music of God's worth, of His value because of what He has done. See, God is not simply worthy of worship because of the redemptive act which He has accomplished on our behalf. He is worthy of worship simply because He is God. This is why at the end of the age, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It will be an act of worship because He is simply due worship. our worship of God should encompass all that we are and all that we have. And I thought, Donnie and Sue, you put it beautifully this morning. I did not know what they were going to say, but what they said aligned perfectly by the grace of the Spirit of the Lord, that everything that we have is an act of worship unto the Lord. Our homes, our jobs, our finances, everything that we have should be returned back to Him as an act of worship. And so when I say to us next Sunday, let's open our homes in hospitality, your home can be a place and an act of worship. Amen. Your home can be a place where the Lord meets you and a few others and you worship Him. Right. That's the goal. Worship must be first and foremost to us individually, and to us as a church. And when we engage in true worship, true worship brings joy. True worship brings joy. We see in verse 52, they, after worshiping Him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Worshiping Christ brings joy in our mission. Disciples went back to Jerusalem in obedience to Jesus' command that they would return there, and they did so with great joy because you cannot be in the presence of Jesus and not have great joy. You cannot be in Jesus' presence and not have joy. They were obedient to the mission of the church to it, which, which Christ had called them, and because they were obedient, they had great joy in their heart. You and I must know that worshipping Christ compels us to action with joy. Mm, that's good. Serving the church, the church universal serving in the local church, doing what God has called us to do, it ought not elicit words of complaint or words of uh, begrudging what God has spoken. It ought to happen with joy. When we welcome one another into our presence, when we are uh, being hospitable with one another, it should bring joy in our life. It should bring joy to us to be in fellowship with other people. It should bring joy to us to be able to exalt and to worship the Lord, to be found to give. This is why often when we talk about giving as unto the Lord, we say to give with joy. If you're not going to give with joy, just don't give. If you're just doing it out of drudgery, don't give. I would encourage you, don't give. Just sit there and hold on to your money. It's okay. It is okay. But if you're going to give... Come forward with the joy of the Lord. That God has done something in our lives. And we are so thankful. This morning I had my wallet and I was thinking, I didn't even have a dollar. My wife and I give online. I didn't have a dollar to bring. I asked Mark, don't you have something to swipe? (laughs) I want to give with joy as unto the Lord. Yes. I want to do everything. I want to preach the gospel sometimes, and I have heard it. I've heard it before, and I don't like it. I don't like it when preachers talk in in their own private circles, and they talk about the congregation, and they talk about the people of God. If you can't serve with joy, you can't stand behind the pulpit with joy, you can't go on the street with joy, then don't do it. I wouldn't be here if it didn't bring joy to my heart to break the bread of life to you. I've been praying <clears throat> part of our time of fasting. You know, I, Nicole and I were able to get a few minutes away uh, one morning or at some point, And we talked about the things that were on our hearts as we were walking through this fast. And uh, I said, one of the things I'm praying for is just an overwhelming joy in my heart and an overwhelming joy in our congregation. That's one of the things that I am seeking God for, that God would bring us joy. And the joy of the Lord was present in the early disciples, and it ought to be present in us as well. Philippians 4.4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Psalm 16 and 11 says, In your presence there is fullness of joy. Romans 14 and 17 says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter 1 and 8 says, though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Proverbs 10 and 28 says, the hope of the righteous brings joy. Psalm 71 and 23 says, my lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you. First Thessalonians 5 and 16 says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. At times we forget that we are called to be a people of joy. We may say, my life is so hard. I've got so many difficulties. I have so many challenges. I have <clears throat> so many problems. God speaks to us in that as well. In James 1, 2, and 3, he says, what? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So in your trial and in your circumstance, in your challenge of life, count it all joy. and not just in the spiritual trials. What does he say? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. When you meet trials in your family, when you meet trials in your workplace, when you meet trials in your mind, when you meet trials in the people that you have to interact with, and you think this isn't working out, this isn't in a way that I want this to go, when you're tempted to complain, tempted to be upset, tempted to get angry, if you are in Christ, don't act like the rest of the world, sorry, and get grumpy and get upset and get angry and talk about how difficult this life is And how challenging this life is, count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter trials of various kinds, because what happens? The testing of your faith, this is what happens to many who are in the faith, they come to the hour of testing and don't pass the test. They come, thank you little buddy. I appreciate that. That'll be helpful. They come to the hour of trial and they don't pass the test. When we think through, when I think through some of those in this life who I have known who were in the faith and then left the faith, often it came after a deep trial of life. Often it came after a circumstance in which they said, God doesn't love me. How could God love me in this circumstance or situation? On the other hand, I've seen people who have walked through the test of life and have done so, even though there may have been tears of sorrow, There was joy in the heart at the work God was doing in the midst of painful circumstances. And some of you are in this room this morning. Your life, your testimony is an act that it is possible through the deepest and darkest night, through the greatest challenge and trial. To continue to walk through it and count it all joy because you have walked through various types of trials. For you know in your mind that the testing of your faith is producing steadfastness in the Lord. Jesus at one time said a very hard statement to his disciples, and when it referenced his disciples, it wasn't just the 12 who were there listening to him. This was a greater group of people who were around, who were listening to the Lord. And Jesus said a really hard statement, and if you think about it, it would be hard for you and I as well to hear a statement like this. Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. Now imagine if you were standing there that day and you were listening to a man that you were wondering, is this guy God or is he not God? Does this match up with what I've been taught before? And this guy says to a crowd that's gathered, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. And the Bible says that Many of the disciples slowly backed away. They slowly left. They couldn't accept a statement like that. And and for a Jew to think of what was literally in their mind of eating human flesh, it was repulsive to them. And Jesus stands and says, lest you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. And he looks to Peter, who's still standing there, and he says, "Will you go also. And Peter responds with this statement, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You see, in the trial, there are, are theologians who talk about the dark night of the soul. The dark night when you walk through that deepest and darkest circumstance that begins to shake you to your core, and you have to wrestle with what is truth and what is not. And it's in that moment of trial, that moment of difficulty, that moment in your circumstance where you have to look at the Lord and say, Where else am I going to go? For you have the words of eternal life. It's in that moment. <clears throat> where we count it all joy, James says to us. One who endured deep challenges of his faith as well. There is a great joy to be found in Christ and in service to him that surpasses any trial and any challenge that you can face. This is what I hope as a church for our culture, our culture as a congregation, a local group of people that gather uh together. I know I've thought at times, have you ever have you ever been to the airport and got on an airplane? And uh when you got on the plane, the wind outside was blowing pretty heavy and as the pilot begins to take off, it's kind of that rough sort of and you're like, okay, this thing moving here. Uh I've been on a plane like that before where it's kind of rocking a little bit as you're trying to get up in, uh, in the air. And that's the way I feel like 2022 has gotten off. You know, we're trying to get up to this place and it's kind of rocking along in the plane here. We're getting some, some thrust behind us to sort of move this thing, uh, forward. And sometimes we feel like that in our life as well, that we're longing after God. We're seeking after Lord, the Lord, But what I want you to know is that in every trial, every circumstance, every challenge that you're going to face, it is the possibility of having the joy of the Lord. It's the possibility of standing in the firmness to know that God has this like he has had me in every other circumstance that I've walked through until this moment. There is going to be joy in the morning. Though weeping may endure for a little while, joy is going to come in my life. And I can walk through this to the glory of God Almighty. Yes, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Worshiping Jesus brings joy in our mission. It brings joy in our mission. And our joy in Christ cannot be contained in singular earthen vessels. Our joy in the Lord overflows to other people as well. When we look at the disciples in verse 53, or back to verse 52, it says, And they, after worshiping him, Jesus returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. So where did the disciples go after the moment that they had encountered the Lord? They went to the temple and at this time, this was the place where the earliest church was gathering. They immediately went to the place where their fellowship with other worshipers was the strongest. When they had encountered Jesus and they were worshiping him at that place, their immediate next step was to go be in the presence of other people who were also worshiping the Lord to share the good news of what God had done. Worshiping Christ brings partnership and community with other people. In Jerusalem, the disciples were not on a mission by themselves. They were on a mission together. We're on a mission together as a congregation of believers. God has gifted each and every one of you who are here this morning. You're hearing my voice. It's beating on your eardrum. I want to tell you there is a part to play. And oftentimes why we don't realize the, the, the revelation of the Lord and the things that God wants to do in our day is because oftentimes that calling to step forward and to fulfill what God is doing, to be in joy and be committed with other people, it doesn't beat very hard on the eardrums and it doesn't make it into the processing cells of the brain. And we become content. And I don't want to be content. I believe we're in an age and a time and a season where God is pushing his church together, not allowing us to be pulled apart, but pushing us together into his mission, into his calling. I know some of you, many of you, have expressed to me that you are hungry at all ages and walks of life, that you're hungry for more of what God is doing. You're hungry for a move of God. You're hungry for God to do something. And one of the ways that God is going to move is He's going to unite God's people. It's going to be less and less people out there doing their own thing, and more and more people in here doing things together. Yes, Amen. I was reading an article earlier this week, and it was by a church historian, and the, the, thought, the initial thought of the article was how we often hold up great men in history. You know, we hold up one individual. We look to, you know, those Martin Luthers or others in church history that were just kind of, we think these sort of lone range guys, and what we see when you dig deeper and you study more, what you find is they weren't lone rangers at all. He said, God never does a, never, never, God never does a great work in the history of the church except through a band of brothers and sisters. Right now. Amen. This is true of the ancient church, the Celtic church and its powerful missions, the Reformation, the Puritans, and the evangelical revivals of the 18th century. The idea of one lone figure standing for truth against dominions of evil and the failure of like-minded men to stand with them is the product more of a reading of church history shaped by a high noon culture than the actual facts. And in some ways and in some ways, to assert otherwise is to make church history a narrative of celebrities. When we worship Jesus, one of the outflows of worship beyond joy is a sense of togetherness. When you sense yourself separating from the body or we sense ourselves kind of pulling away, I'm sort of moving to do my own thing, I can tell you with assurance that's not from the Lord. It's not from the Lord. And particularly in this day and age where I believe there are things that are moving in the earth and God is doing something that generations before us may have not seen before when we look at the scriptures and we read some of the prophecies that have been foretold, and we look at what is happening in our world, and every these last 21 days, uh, along with fasting food, I've fasted much of the news. So I'm not sure of what's all happening right now. But what I do know is we are on a collision course with the destiny of the church right. and the destiny of the church is the destiny that God has called us to, to be people that will stand up and people that will fight for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we will see as many people come to the saving knowledge of him as we can on this side of the Lord's coming. Right. Amen. I don't, I'm not sharing this for uh, to make a far-fetched statement. But we have to band together and be tighter than what we ever have before. And if you're not that kind of person, get to be that kind of person. Get to be that kind of person. Love the people who you're in fellowship with. Get to know them. Get to know their trials. Get to know their circumstances. Get to know what they're walking through. Get to know people. You're going to need people. You're going to need, I need people. I need people in my life. I need people to help me. I need people to keep me accountable. I need someone to say, this is not the right way. This is not the way that you should walk. I need someone to speak truth in my life. And I'm not the only one in this room that needs it. We all need people who are willing at times to speak to us the bold truth that needs to be said. And again... This is why it's important for us to welcome others into our presence. What did Jesus do? He welcomed people into his presence. Over and over and over again. The disciples, the sinners, the people. He went out, he ate with publicans. He was doing all of these things. And he was in the presence of people. We must be in the presence of other people. I will say today that I believe there are some here and you are on the edge. You're on the edge. And you're marginalizing yourself. And you're going to fall off the edge. Don't think you will hold yourself on. I've tried to put into my children as my oldest son has grown and he's gone off to college, I said, don't think that a change of scenery will change who you are. You've got to work at who you are. You've got to work in your integrity. You've got to work at what God is calling you to do. Change of scenery is not going off to college, is not now or going off to a Christian college is not going to make you a super spiritual person. If you're not putting in the hard work right now of praying and seeking God and longing after him, going to a Christian college is not going to make it happen.. Right. Amen. There are some today who are on the edge, They're on the edge. You've made yourself alone. Don't say people don't like me. People don't ask me. I can ask you to my house just as well as you can ask me to your house. One of the things I love about this church and I love about this particular facility is that I don't have an office here. I'm thankful for it because you know where my office is? My office is at Tip Top. My office is at Michael's. My office is at the villa. My office is at a coffee shop because I can gather there and I can meet with people. I can sit there, we can fellowship. And it's not me sitting behind a desk with things on the wall saying, let me tell you how to live your life. It's brothers mainly coming together, talking about the work and the power of the Lord. So with that said, my office can be your office too. Riverstone Church's primary purpose is to be a place where that worship of Jesus, that type of worship of Jesus, is primary and central. I believe that as we come together in corporate worship, that everything that we do, our prayers, songs, offerings, singing, everything must be for that purpose of worshiping Jesus. And the worship of Jesus brings joy to our heart and can do so to every believer no matter their daily circumstances. And it also pulls us and brings us into fellowship with those who are around us in the context of the local church. And so I'm going to ask you to stand with me and we are going to pray. I know I've coughed today and I apologize for that. I know we're all more concerned about coughs today than what we have been in the past. Uh, But what I want to tell you is while I wasn't here last Sunday, I'm free to move about today. But I'll have someone who won't cough, pray for you. And if today you're walking through and you're at a couple of spots, you don't have to admit which one it is. But if you're on that edge and you realize I don't have anyone to pull me back, if I slip, when I slip, not if, when. When you hear me, when, when, not if, when I don't have anyone to pull me back. You need a band of brothers or sisters to gather around you and pray. You need prayer. You need prayer. It's okay. You need prayer. And one of the things when you step out and you get prayer is it lets other people recognize that you need prayer so that not just today, but in future days, they can also be praying for you and give a phone call and say, Hey, how are you doing? What is going on with you? If you're here this morning and you don't have the joy of the Lord. You don't have the joy of the Lord. It's not because of your circumstances. Do you you hear me? I want you to hear because that's not what scripture teaches us. Scripture doesn't say the joy of the Lord is dependent upon our daily circumstances. It's not dependent upon our daily circumstances. It's not dependent upon it. Not dependent upon our daily circumstance. The joy of the Lord is a spiritual act of the Holy Spirit through the work of Christ to give us a revelation that this world is not our home and whatever circumstances we face in this world we can have joy because God has done a work on our behalf and one day, one day, one day we will see him face to face. One day we will worship him in all his glory and this individual circumstance in this particular moment is but a blip on the radar screen and when I in His presence, I'll remember it no more. Walk forward, in joy. We're going to pray. If you're in any of those circumstances, or you say, "I just need prayer." I'm going to invite you to come. I'm going to invite you to come, and let's intercede and pray to the Lord together. You lead us in uh, a chorus, and uh, as the Lord moves on you, I'm going to ask you to come and and pray. Heavenly Father, in this moment, I pray that you would move according to your spirit, according to your grace and mercy, O Lord. I pray, Father, that your hand of mercy and kindness would be upon us. And Jesus, I pray today that as a local body of believers, this foundational element of worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ... would be so thoroughly ingrained in who we are, in our culture as a church, in our understanding of what it means to be in fellowship with the people in this room. I pray God you would help us towards that end. I pray Father that you would move upon those who today are hurting in this place You're hurting today. You need prayer. You need to calm. Please come. Lord, that you would move by the power of the Holy Spirit Who are hurting today, God, that there will be just a revelation, a revelation of your joy as they pour their heart out and worship to you. Lord, I cannot promise that their circumstances are going to change. I can't promise that the situation is going to get all wonderful overnight. You do that sometimes. Sometimes there's that miraculous intervention, and we worship you for those times, oh Lord. But often those are not the normative. The normative is your daily grace, your daily mercy, your daily love to get up and to walk again, putting one foot in front of the other. Jesus endured. For the joy that was set before him. He walked through the cross. He willingly laid down his life. He willingly stretched out his hands. He willingly took the nails in his hands and in his feet. He willingly hung on a cross for the joy that was set before him. God, today I pray you fill us with joy. Fill us with joy, O Lord. Joy in your presence. Joy in our work. Joy in our service. Joy in our giving. Joy in our homes. Joy in our car, O God. Fill us with joy, I pray, O God. Let us rejoice in you. Let our hearts be lifted up to you, God, that today there would be joy, Lord. Maybe someone came in, And you wondered if today was going to be it for you. God, I pray for joy. And God, I pray that particularly in this culture, our culture, Western culture, O oh Lord, where the idea of being an individual Making something of yourself, pulling yourself up by your bootstrap, just going it alone, making it happen, seems to be so prevalent, God. But it is antithetical to what you've called us to do in the church. You have not called us to be the Lone Ranger. You have called us to come together. Help us. Help us, O Lord, to press into one another. That not one would be lost, not one would step away, not one would find themselves walking away from the faith or turning away, not one, but that as we worship you, one of the products of worshiping you will be a love for your church who you gave your life for. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We lift our hearts to you this morning. We thank you, God, by your grace and mercy. In your name we pray.